Ephesians chapter 4. We took a a break as we looked at the Christmas perspectives, uh, but now we are back in Ephesians chapter 4. The first three chapters of Ephesians are kind of interesting in that they're all about really the, the big ideas of Christianity. Uh, we we talked even chapter one. It starts out with the big idea of election and and our calling in Christ, uh, the blessings that we have in Christ. These huge ideas. And now Paul is going to start to transition and say, okay, you have all these big ideas. What do you do with them? You know, how do you actually live those things out? Do they have an impact on your life? And that's where he's going to be starting out in Ephesians chapter four. We'll read verses one through six, and then we will pray, and then we will study it together. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we have it in our hands. Thousands of years after it has been written, it has been preserved. And we can look to it to find your truth. Lord, that's what your word is. It is truth. And I pray that you would help us to learn from it this morning. That you would use your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts, that we would be able to understand the meaning and that we would be able to apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray for unity in our church, uh, that we as brothers and sisters would be united in purpose and united around the gospel. Uh, I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, As we begin this new year, you know, 2017, last year we talked about our vision. Uh, For those who might not have been here, our vision is flowing from our purpose um, of unconditional praise, unconditional love, unconditional outreach. And it's flowing from that to be what what is Fairmont Baptist going to be like in 2017? And we have come together and we've been surrounded by this vision of being a doctrine church, a family church, and a neighborhood church. Uh, Now, that's great to say. Right, we we looked at that last week. We saw that those things are biblical, is what we have been called to be. But how do we do that, really? All right, uh, it's, we can say it and we can talk about it. We can put it on banners, and you'll see those coming around in the next few weeks. All right, but what does that mean for you and me? How can we start? Well, in order to achieve a goal, which that's what it is. This this vision is a goal for us. In order to achieve a goal, you have to be united. We are all different people. We have different personalities, different backgrounds. The way that we can accomplish this goal is by being united on that goal. Uh, Herman Edwards uh, was a football coach uh, of Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, You might have heard of him. He was quite the character. But one of the things that he used to say was... uh, you know, my, whoever plays for my team will play for the name on the side of the helmet, not the name on the back of the jersey. All right, what he, what he was saying is, we can't be a successful team if we're focusing in on ourselves. We have to think about the team. And that's what Paul is going to be talking about here. It's about unity. 
It's about thinking about your brothers and sisters in the church and not just about you. That's the way that we can accomplish our goal is to be united. So he begins in verse one of chapter four. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, uh, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Uh, this is very familiar for us, right? Paul is always saying this. Right? He's, he's constantly bringing it up. But usually when he does this, it's at the beginning of a letter, right? He says, I, Paul, and maybe Timothy or whoever, uh, a prisoner for Jesus Christ or a prisoner of Jesus Christ in a few cases. And then he goes into his letter with the rest of his opening, usually saying, I thank God for you. All right. But here he does it right in the middle of a letter. Or we're chapter four. All right. This is pretty far in to be bringing up that almost introductory sounding kind of phrase. Why does he do this? Well, because he's going to be talking about unity. He wants to remind them that unity requires commitment. He says, I, Paul. A prisoner, a prisoner. There's no more uh, commitment than that. I'm committed to Christ so much that I am his prisoner. And he's basically saying, what about you, Ephesians? And for us, we say, what about us, Fairmont? What is your level of commitment? He says, because of this, because of his commitment level, I, Paul, a prisoner, I urge you to do something. I urge you. Uh, this word is more than just asking. Uh, it's it's ple- uh, pleading with someone. Uh, it's almost begging. He's saying, I'm begging you to do this thing. Uh, it's very similar. It's actually the exact word in Acts chapter 9, uh, where we have Tabitha, uh, uh, a disciple uh, of uh, Jesus Christ who was there, and uh, her friend Lydia, um, Lydia goes to Peter and says, you know, Tabitha's dead. This disciple, this fellow believer, uh, and it says that she she did uh, many miraculous things. So uh, she was very dedicated and she had passed away. And she uh, Lydia goes to Peter and says, I urge you to come and heal her. And he he does. All right. Uh, a lot of us just think of you know, people being risen from the dead. We think of Jesus course and then we think of Lazarus but we forget Tabitha was too all right Tabitha was dead Peter comes and heals her but the way that he came was because of Lydia just urging him begging him please please come that's what Paul is doing you can almost see him with tears in his eyes just being do this I'm begging you I'm pleading with you I urge you to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy. We know that walk, uh, we talk about it quite a bit. Walk means your life, right? Uh, your, your lifestyle, if you will. Uh, walk or live your life in a worthy manner. So what does that word worthy mean? Um, I'll give you an example. I've talked about it many times that I like film. Uh, I like movies. And one of my favorites, uh, I just, you know, as manly as I am, I, I just cry every time I watch it, is Saving Private Ryan. Uh, it's based on a true story about brothers. Uh, the story, Saving Private Ryan, has four brothers in this rendition of it. 
All right, but uh, three of them die on D-Day. All right, uh, various different places, they, they die, and there's one brother left. And uh, the, the government, they, they get all these notices of uh, people passing. They see a name, Ryan, that looks familiar. Uh, and then they start to go through the records. Oh, man, there are three sons in this family have died, and there's one left. Let's save the mom, is what they thought. And this is, like I said, based on a true story. This, there were three brothers, I believe. All right, but uh, they, they say, we're going to save the mom from not having any more sons, right? And so they, they send a, a, a group of soldiers uh, who have just gotten off the beach of Normandy to, to go and find this private, uh, Private uh, James Ryan. And they're, they're going to find him and bring him back so he could be with his family so that uh, the mother uh, you know, doesn't go into extreme depression that all of her sons are dead, that there's, there's a little bit of hope there. All right, so they, they do that. And they, they go and they fight off in this movie. You know, it's exaggerated, of course, of what happened. All right, but they, they fight off all these uh, Nazis and they finally find Private Ryan and this big group of soldiers... Uh, has shrunk. Uh, many have died as they have, as they've tried to search for this one particular guy to bring him home. And on the the, the end of the scene, uh, there's this huge battle sequence, and there's the the captain of this army or uh, of this little military group, and he looks at at Ryan, who's saying, "Why why do I deserve this? All these men are dying for me." And he looks at him and says, "Earn this." Earn this, the sacrifice that all these men are having for you, Ryan. You earn this. And the end of the movie is him as an old man, James Ryan, going to that captain's grave and saying, you know, did I live a good enough life? Was it worthy of the sacrifice that you made, that all those men made? Did In the balance of it, what he did with his life, was it worth the cost? That's what worthy means. All right? And for us, it's even more so. That's moving, isn't it? Uh, Of all those men sacrificing so much to save that one man. God himself. God himself gave everything for us. That's the, the weight on the other side, right? And are we living worthy of that sacrifice? That's what Paul is saying. And he's saying, I'm begging you. I urge you. Walk in a manner worthy of that calling to which you have been called. Of the calling, this is the calling found in chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, it's not just speaking of our salvation, but of us being redeemed of our sin and becoming part of the church and someday being with Christ. It's the entirety of our salvation story. Not just the point of justification. That's when Jesus uh, saved you from your sin. But sanctification right now, as you pursue Christ, if you are a Christian here this morning and you are wanting to be like Christ, which is the purpose of Christianity, then you are being sanctified. And at the end, when you be with when you will be with Jesus, that's glorification. That's the calling that he's talking about. So live your life in a manner worthy of that. Anyone convicted this morning? Right? That that that's hefty. But that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to live like Jesus because of all that he's done for us. Now, for the Ephesians, they weren't quite doing that. We see a lot of good things that they do. 
But there was one major area that we see that Paul is going to focus on here that apparently they weren't living up to it. Uh, they weren't living up to that weight. And so he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And he says, with all humility. Spoilers, what he's going to be talking about, like I said earlier, is unity. Right? Of being united. And we're going to be looking at, uh, and I hope you have your bulletins out on the back there. Uh, there are a couple fill-in spots for you. But we'll be talking about what, what can we do to be united? What does Paul tell us to do in order for us to be united as a church? To have those walls of division knocked down. And I will say it. In any church, including ours, there is division. So what do we do to fight against that? Well, we must be united. And being united, first, it requires humility. That's number one. Unity requires humility. Humility is the opposite of pride. It's putting others' needs before yours. Like I was saying with Herman Edwards, it was uh, having every player play with the, the, uh, the thing on their mind is the, the team name on the side of the helmet, not the name on the back of the jersey. All right, That's humility. And it is absolutely necessary for unity in the church because it's absolutely necessary in a loving relationship. Uh, think about your spouse if you're married here this morning. What happens when you're not humble? What happens when you're not thinking of her needs and you're thinking about your needs? What does that look like in your relationship? Is there harmony? I doubt it. Unless someone is completely oblivious to what's going on, there's usually disharmony, right? When we're focusing in on ourselves... When we're looking at what we need rather than what they need and we get angry because, well, I wanted to do this or, uh, you know, I went through this today and this is what I get, right? You, uh, some of these phrases might sound very familiar to you, right? They're familiar to me sometimes. When we're focusing in on ourselves and what maybe we deserve or what we think we need and we're not focusing in on them, we fight. It happens in the church. It happens in the church when we focus in on here's what I think should have happened. And we're not thinking about others' needs and we're so wrapped up in ourselves. And we're not being humble. We're being prideful. It leads to division. It leads to you having a disconnect in the body. And if we remember our theology, we remember that church, what are we? One body. And Paul even uses the metaphor of a human body. Alright, so think about that dividing yourself. Saying, I'm not going to be uh, friendly to that person or I don't want to talk to that person this Sunday. Think about how silly that is. Of you saying, I'm not going to... You know, it would be like, I'm taking off my thumb this week. And I'm not going to deal with it this week. It's ridiculous. We need to be united. We need to be humble. Because unity requires humility. Unity also requires a gentle spirit. That's what he says. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness. This is a softness, a tender spirit. 
It's the opposite of being rough or harsh. Let me ask you something. Have you ever gotten mad at someone in the church for a bad reason? For a bad reason. Like uh, you uh, are focusing in on your own needs and you get mad because they, they did something that you didn't like and you're not talking with them. Have you ever done that? We shouldn't. We should be gentle with one another. Well, this idea of gentleness is about having your emotions in check. So that when the temptation comes to get angry over something that you really shouldn't be angry about, instead of being harsh or rough to that person, you have your emotions in check so that there is no division between you. Um, there are some things that we can do to be prepared for that, to make sure uh, it, it's it's like with your spouse. I know sometimes when I have not slept well, I get a little testy. You can ask my wife. All right. All of a sudden, things that uh, would not rub me the wrong way, I, I'm I'm rough about it. I, I I get a little rigid in my actions, right? Because I didn't get enough sleep. So what what can we do to be gentle with one another? Well, we can be with one another. You have to know someone. You can get to know them and know their personality. Um, you know, we have a lot of big personalities in our church, don't we? Yeah, we, we all have personalities. And sometimes, if you don't know that person, uh, you might not know what they mean by what they say. Right? You might not know what they mean by their actions. Uh, because we, we also come from different backgrounds, right? As all people do. And so we carry with us those that, that baggage. And sometimes when someone says something, we take all kinds of different things into account for that. When all they meant was this one simple idea that wasn't harmful in any way. Right? We need to be gentle with one another. Another thing that we need to do in order to have unity is that unity requires patience. And we all excel at that, don't we? No. Unity requires patience toward all. He says, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Ever had someone try to push your buttons? Like on purpose? They're just testing you? I remember uh, for several years I was a youth pastor in Minnesota. I remember uh, doing all the, the lock-ins and staying up all night and all of that. And I remember there was one lock-in that we had that this guy, I didn't know him. He, he was a friend of one of my kids in the youth group. And he came in and he was just pushing me. Every time, every game that we did, he was trying to find some way to get out of the rules of it. You know, uh, saying things different, youth group members trying to get them all angry. And he just kept on every, every all through the night. And I had to spend, oh, what was it, 12 hours with this kid. And all, all the time, just pushing the bear, right? And just being like, all right, are you going to react? Are you going to react? Are you going to react? And sometimes I didn't do it uh, perfectly, but thank the Lord I was able to get through the night without ripping this kid in two. All right, but... That's what we need with one another. 
You know, there are going to be times where someone is going to push your buttons. It doesn't make it right. All right. And sometimes it's on purpose. Sometimes it's not. What are you going to do? Well, we need to be patient. We need to be long suffering. That's what that word means. To suffer for a very long time. That time that you spend uh, at, at the doctor's. When you're just trying to get just a simple checkup and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting, you're suffering a long time. Sometimes we need to do that with our brothers and sisters. Just suffer through it for the sake of unity. Be patient. Be patient toward one another. He says, uh, uh, bearing with one another in love, bearing with one another. As, I, as I've already mentioned, we're all different. We all have different preferences about some things. We're on the same page of our core doctrines, but there are minor differences of opinions on some other things, right? That's, that's just the way it is. I was talking with the guys on Thursday, I believe. Uh, there were three of us in the room, and I said, you know, uh, we're, we're three people in a room, so we're going to have four or five different points of view, right? That, that's the way we are. Uh, we, we have all different... Um, points of view about things and sometimes we let that get the best of us we all have different personalities but we have to get along we have to and that's what bearing with one another means uh, I remember when I was uh, when I was 13 we adopted my little brother and for 13 years, I've talked about this a couple of times, but for 13 years, I was the only son in, in, in the house with four older sisters. Uh, so I had my own room. I had my own way of doing things because I was very separate, right? Just because I was the boy, they, they had to share their rooms. I got my own, you know, and I just had everything set up the way I wanted to. And I was just becoming a teenager, so I came in with all that rebellious kind of attitude of everything, and then we adopted my little brother. While I loved him, I didn't know how big of a change it was going to be. All of a sudden, I had this six-year-old in my room who uh, wanted things done his way and uh, was always wanting to be in there when my friends would come over. and You know, it was, it was a big change. Uh, and... It, you know, that, that caused some tension, right? You know, here I am, this 13-year-old with this 6-year-old now, always following me around. And uh, for some times, it was really good and easy. But other times, it was pretty difficult, like when it came to cleaning our room. You know, mom and dad would say, you got to go up there and clean the room. And I would divide the room. You know, I'm 13, he's 6. And so I'm just saying, clean up your toys, and I'll clean up everything else. And that didn't go with him sometimes. He didn't want to do it, and that would cause some tension. I remember my mom telling me, you have to get along. He's your brother. That's what Paul is saying to us. You have to get along. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what he's saying to the Ephesian church, and I think he's saying it to us as well. Get along. Forbear with one another. Sometimes it is so joyful to be with our brothers and sisters. And sometimes it is difficult. That, that's what being a family is all about, right? Being with each other through the good and through the bad. That's unity. 
And that's what we're called to do. We're called to forbear with one another. How do we do that? What should be our motivation in this? He says, in love. Number four, love must be the motivation for unity. This should be our motivation for being gentle and patient with one another, for bearing one another. He says to do it in love because you love that brother, because you love that sister. Be humble, be gentle, be patient with them. He says in the following verse, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We should be eager to do this. Eager means making every effort. You're working hard to get something accomplished. It's like when you have a deadline at work. Ever been there? You have a deadline and you got to get this thing done. So that means putting in some extra time. It means putting all of your efforts into this thing so you can get it done. That's, that's what he means. Being eager to maintain the unity. We want unity to continue. So we're doing all that we can to make sure it does. And this shows us that unity does not, does not just happen. It doesn't. You can't just go to church and say, I think we're united. If you don't talk about it, if you don't pursue it, then it won't happen. You have to make every effort. You have to work hard. It doesn't just occur. It's not passive. It takes effort and hard work. It takes us being humble, gentle, and patient with our brothers and sisters. At the same time, we must remember who is really doing this work. Who is the one who is really doing the work of having unity in our church? He says, uh, eager to maintain the unity of who? Of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. It's His unity. His unity is not an achievement of man. But it is the work of the Spirit. Now we know how God works though. He uses us. He uses me. He uses you to accomplish His will. So we have to yield to Him. And that's what that gentleness, that's what that humility, that patience is. It's us yielding to the Spirit so that we can have unity in the church. So, alright, we understand that. But what do we need to be united around? Or we could talk about being united, and that's, that's good, you know, all of us being together. But what should we be about then? What, what unites us, really? Well, he's going to go in here, and we're going to find out that what unifies us is doctrine. Doctrine unifies us. And he's going to give us a doctrinal statement, if you will. And we're going to see throughout this, I want you to pick up on this, that throughout these, these statements, it's, uh, it's set apart in three different areas. The Trinity. You're going to see that uh, he's going to talk about the Spirit. And he's going to talk about Jesus. And then he's going to talk about the Father and the things that belong to them. And that's what unifies us. It's beautiful. Alright, so he says, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. That's in verse 4. There is one body. He's talking about the universal church. 
And that's, uh, that's what we saw in Ephesians 1, verse uh, 23, uh, that we're representatives of God Himself. This is talking about the church at large, all those who profess the name of Jesus Christ. When you are saved, you become part of the Catholic Church. I don't mean Roman Catholic. I, I'm talking about worldwide. The universal church. You, there is one body. All right, and there is one spirit. There is one Holy Spirit who indwells that church. And that should bring us to unity. But we have to yield to Him. The same Holy Spirit that indwells me indwells you. It's just like a friendship. Right? You have to have stuff in common before you can really have a relationship with that person, right? You, you gotta you gotta build that relationship so you talk about things that you you both relate to, whether that's sports or, uh, you know, fill in the blank, fishing, hunting. You relate to someone. Here, what brings us together is that we're all part of the same church and we all have the same Holy Spirit. One Holy Spirit who indwells me, who indwells you. And then he says, all right, uh, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, we all have the same hope, the same future. To be with Jesus for eternity. That's our hope. We're all going to the same place. This is why you can go around the world. As I've said a couple of times. You can go around the world. And you can have a relationship with other Christians. There's a, there's a sense of camaraderie between you two. Why? Because you have these things in common. You're part of the same church. Universal church. You're part, uh, you both have the Holy Spirit. You both have... The same hope. He goes on. He says, One Lord. We all serve the same Christ. We have the same Redeemer, and He is the head of our church. He says, One faith. We could really go into these in detail, but we're just getting a you know fly-by view of these. Alright, one faith. We have the same gospel. We have those core doctrines in common. It rallies us together. It's why we can come from different places and experiences and backgrounds to be one in the church because of the gospel. And here's one I want to park on for a bit. All right, he says, one faith, one baptism. All right, the other ones are pretty easy for us to tell what he's talking about. All right, we know about the Holy Spirit. We know about the church. We know about... Jesus, that there's only one. But when we come to baptism, we can get different ideas. There are two different main views that are out there. The the first being water baptism. Uh, That is a believer's baptism of going under the water, representing the death, burial, and Jesus Christ and coming up. And the second being that this is a form of uh, the baptism of the Spirit. Of you getting the Holy Spirit inside of you when you are uh, saved. There are, there are some other minor views, but these are the two main ones. Alright, so which one is it? What baptism are we talking about? What unifies us? Well, I think we can rule out baptism of the Spirit for two main reasons. Number one, it's not being discussed in the larger context of the Scripture. It's a big idea, the baptism of the Spirit, for Him just to throw it in there. Alright? It's not in the context. 
Number two, look at how these verses are put. Like I said, we're looking at the Trinity. All right, he talks about the Holy Spirit and things that we have because of the Holy Spirit. And then he talks about Jesus. Why would he, in the process of it, go from talking about Jesus back to the Holy Spirit? That's not how Paul writes. Usually when he goes through a list of things, he's talking, all right, here's something, here's its effects. Here's something, here's its effects. It wouldn't make sense for Paul's writing. Those are some reasons why I think we can be sure. What he's talking about, what unifies us, is water baptism. So what is it? Uh, well, the, the word comes from the Greek, baptizo, transliteration. Right? What that means is to submerge, to go under. All right? That's why here at Fairmont Baptist, we, we believe that we don't sprinkle. Uh, we do believe that it is believers. You have to be a believer to represent that. Now, we first see this in the New Testament with John the Baptist. All right, and what, what he would do is he was baptizing, and those who would go under would say, I am a follower of John the Baptist. I am identifying myself with the teachings of John the Baptist. He was preaching repentance. Because there was that 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and some had wandered away. Many had wandered away. And so what he was doing is saying, come back. The Messiah is coming. Repent. Follow God. And so they would be baptized and they would say, I'm identifying with the teachings of John and moving forward in repentance. That's what baptism is. It is you identifying here with Jesus. You're saying, I follow his teachings. I repent of my sin. I I have trusted in Jesus Christ and I'm going to follow him wherever that leads. You're identifying with the teachings of Jesus Christ. This is in our uh, Constitution, our doctrinal statement. Baptism is the immersion in water of a believer in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which symbolizes the fact of regeneration. All right, go under the water to show that I'm identifying with the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Doing it in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, like we see clearly represented in Scripture, Matthew 28, uh, the Great Commission. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you come out. It's, it's saying, I'm a Christian, publicly. And it's done publicly, by the way. You don't get baptized in, in, in your backyard and say, I'm a follower now. No. It needs to be public. Because that's what baptism is all about. You're saying, I am a follower of Christ, everyone. Hold me accountable. It's commitment. And it is a commandment. Like I said, Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them. It is a commandment from Jesus Christ. You cannot get more important than that. Baptism is very important. Because it is commanded. Because it is an act of commitment. And because it bonds us. It brings us together. How does it relate to unity? Well, because baptism is all about commitment. You saying that I'm committed to following Christ 
And you can't be a member of Fairmont Baptist without being baptized because if you are unwilling to show the dedication and commitment to Christ who gave you everything, like I said, the weight, walk worthy in the manner of which you have been called, or if you are unwilling to be committed to Christ who gave you everything, then how can you be willing to be committed to us? That's why it's important. It shows us that we are committed to Christ and that we will, as one body, remain committed to each other because of Christ. Baptism shows our commitment to Christ and thus to one another. It unifies us because then we are singular in our devotion. He closes with one God. He says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, one God and the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We're unified through the God who brings unity. Who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who is over all and through all and in all. Who is completely sovereign over everything. That's how we have unity. Like I said, another way of summing up all of this is what brings us together is doctrine. We believe the same things. We're rallied around the gospel and these truths that are clearly evident in Scripture. And based on that, we're unified around that and that causes us to be humble, to be loving, to forbear with one another, to be patient with one another. To think about your brothers and sisters rather than yourself. And through that, we can have unity. So the question for us today is, how are we doing with this? Are we pursuing unity? Are we getting along with one another? Are we being humble, gentle, patient, and loving with each other? Or are we rallied around these core doctrines? Are we allowing the gospel to unify us? Are we focusing on our differences? Let us be committed. Committed to Christ and committed to each other. And just throwing it out there, if you've never been baptized, I hope today you see the importance of baptism. That it shows your commitment to Christ. And it shows that you are committed to the body. And let us be eager. Let us work hard, even this year, as we pursue this vision, fulfilling our purpose. Let us work hard to maintain unity in our church. The unity of the Spirit. Let's pray. God, again, we thank you. We thank you for your word that is so practical for us. Lord, it is not a, a book of rules or facts that we can look at and ignore. It challenges us. It is alive. It is that two-edged sword. Lord, and sometimes it pierces us. I pray that you would be with us, Lord, throughout the rest of this year, that we would be united United around the doctrines that, that unify us. Lord, and that we would be humble and patient with one another. Lord, if there are those in our church that we, we need to uh, 
uh, rectify with, that we need to have reconciliation with. Lord, help us to pursue it. Help us to be bold. Lord, if, if we need to show our commitment, even in baptism, Lord, help us to be bold there. Lord, we pray for unity. We pray that you would bring us together, that we would get along, that we would love one another. Lord, and that through this unity, you would use us to have an impact. Lord, in our families, in our neighborhood, in our city. Lord, above all this, we pray that we would love one another unconditionally. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.